Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we like our beer ice nine cold. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we are the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading our Patreon-selected book of the month, Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut, and uh, someone's starting with a beer. I'll start. Damn it. This is Island Vibes by Killsborough, because, I mean, nothing in this book matters, but or is true, uh, <laughs> but also they go to it. They go to the Caribbean. Like a lot of it, some of it takes place at least the end in the Caribbean in the islands where it's about this sort of island thing. So anyway, this is Island Vibes. <laughs> Did you say it's, it's on an island? This is Island Vibes. It is a seven percent IPA, and it's okay. It's <laughs> it, it's. It, I'm not sure if it knows whether it's trying to be a West Coast IPA or an East Coast. It's like they're trying to do. Something in the middle? It's a Midwest IPA. Yeah. This is a Nebraska IPA, definitely. <laughs> I, someone posted this picture of a beer can, and they just were like, words mean nothing now. And it was like, whatever. It was like, lowercase brewing, I think was the name of the company. It was in all caps, of course. <laughs> and it said, it was like, New England-style West Coast IPA Pilsner. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is that mean? Is it real? It's like, this is just... Did chat GPT make this beer? Like, what is that? <laughs> so they can call it whatever they want, apparently, these days. Yeah. So uh, Cat's Cradle was published in 1963 and is one of Vonnegut's earlier books and arguably second most famous, I guess, because we already did Slaughterhouse-Five and apparently had all yeah. wrong opinions about it when we did that. So we're going to keep that going because <laughs> I don't think any of us liked this book. Uh, yeah, and I kind of liked it. Once, right. once you get over the fact that it's just weird. Uh, that it's frenetic gibberish, yeah, then it's great, because <laughs> that's really what it felt like. It tells a, sto- a story, I'll try to figure out what it is, and uh, it starts with an, a narr- narrator, and of course, because Vonnegut is clever, like that's his thing, it's like how witty I am, it starts off with a copying the opening line of Moby Dick, and it's like, call me Jonah, but my name's John. <laughs> but that's not my name. Yeah, but that's not my name. Which is funny because that's like one of the interesting things about the well, call me the, Ishmael the line. Epi- epigraph, the thing at the beginning, the the little quote at the beginning of the chapter, I which is actually not a real quote. It's a quote he made up for the Book of Bakonin, which is the religion. It starts with the phrase, nothing in this book is true. That's actually before, which is important. There's a lot of important meaning in that, but uh, nothing in this book is true. And so when he starts the actual book, he starts with a sentence that is not true. Hmm. The, I, I'm glad, I, I had you give me the audio book and then I still just read the physical book. And I don't know how to say because in my head I was like saying like, Boko Ono like the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> like, this shit's going to break up the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> But the, the, I, the, nothing in this book is true as a philosophy kind of idea. It makes me think of a lot of around this time, you know, free thinker types, like um, philosophy types like John Cage, you know, that composer guy, the guy who wrote... Was he a philosopher too? He's like a more idea guy than composer. Uh, and John Cage... Yeah, because especially when you don't need any notes in your music. Well, his his most <laughs> famous true. piece of music is called 4 Minutes and 33 Seconds, and that's 4 Minutes and 33 Seconds where you don't play anything. <laughs> and you just listen to the sounds around you. See? That's the idea. Mm. But one of his famous quotes is, I have nothing to say, and I'm saying it. It's like, what? Okay. It's like a fucking that could Zen tell up a lot of people these the fu- days. The so. 60s were weird. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking well, this is this is right in there. This is early '60s, so he kind of uh, 
You know, the other book it made me think of a lot was um, Crying Lot 49. Yeah. That came after this, didn't it? So, uh, it was right around the same time. Pynchon was also 60s. I thought it was 65, though, when that book came out. But By right around the same time. I mean, in the same 60s, like, counterculture. Milieu. Again, yeah. yeah, whatever. Milieu. You, know. Milieu. you just say it like you're melting. Uh, okay, so Jonah, John, whatever his name is, is researching a Nobel physicist, Nobel Prize winning physicist in Ilium, New York. It's a real hip place. See what I did there? And no? no? Right. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to write about this game, Felix Honecker? Honecker? Something like that? Honecker. And um, who, who is like the father of the bomb and is, is deceased now. And he's a fucking weird spectrum scientist guy. And and then you meet a million characters who knew him or talk about him. Uh, and that's like the beginning part of the book. And you're like, okay, maybe that's what this is going to be about. And I, not really. Like the book idea kind of gets abandoned pretty soon, it seems. And then he meets people. And what happens next? So the book, the plot, while matters, it also kind of doesn't because it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. He's re- the plot is a vehicle for talking about, for Vonnegut to talk about his ideas about science and the Cold War and religion and makes up it's, it's, a very nonsensical plot. It's, to it's his opportunity that, to mock everything he wants to. Which he enjoyed. So uh, <laughs> the author, which you always get the sense is Kurt Vonnegut himself, a key, but yet it's also not. Anyway, he says he's, he's, just a, he's a writer and he is researching a book called... The uh, the day the Earth ended. No, um, the day the universe changed. No, uh, <laughs> something like that. Uh, the cat. The in day the, hat. the world ended, <laughs> which is about things that happened in the world on oh, the, the day. day that they dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. But th- that's just the premise for why he's talking to these weird people and he's writing letters to the 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 Honakers, the scientist, his. Midget son. Yeah, midget. Why is why is why is writing these letters? But he says he's researching it. But it's also like, and he does a little bit. He says it was going to be a nonfiction book, but then he starts with the phrase, "Nothing in this book is true." And okay, so uh, he talks with the son, and his son is like, "Yeah." So he tells him a bunch about the his uh, his son Newt about this about his father, the scientist, even though his father died. His son says that his father was a brilliant scientist who d- invented all of these amazing things, uh, you know, including worked on the atomic bomb. Doesn't say what he did to work on the atomic bomb, but is uh, uh, did work on it. And then, so the father, his, his, his phrase, uh, his, his thing that he says is that he just... Oh, his Nobel Prize acceptance speech, which was only a couple of sentences long. He says, welcome, uh, like, thank you, everyone, for having me. I'm just here because I've always just been a child, or I've always just... Uh, I forget the phrase that he used. He said something like, um, I've always just stopped, uh, never stopped wondering like a child. But what he really... But this is where Kurt Vonnegut is saying that scientists... This is during the Cold War, after the invention of the atomic bomb and in the early 60s, which is the most dangerous part of the Cold War. 
where he's saying that scientists, especially the scientists that invented the atomic bomb, have no idea about the world. They only know their science, and they really just don't know or don't care or understand the actual world or how people, you could sort of say the political part or the real world that everyone else lives in. Much like an Oppenheimer coming to theaters soon. (laughs) (laughs) Or already? I don't even know when that fucking... Yeah, yeah it's coming out. <laughs> Didn't it come out? I think it just came and out. And you're, supposed to, you're supposed to be on either Team Oppenheimer or Team Barbie, apparently. That's a thing now. Uh, but at the same time, everyone else, like the real people, not that scientists aren't people, but, you know, like the non-scientists have n- absolutely no understanding what scientists are even doing because it's just too advanced. It's just too difficult unless you're actually a scientist to really understand it. That might be true. <laughs> like, that's probably true, right? Like... I don't know why you need to do gain-of-function research, but someone thinks you should. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There is some truth to that. And Um, science-related journalism, I mean, just like journalists who aren't scientists trying to explain the science to to the public, not only do they... I mean, just they have to explain it in such simple terms that that the general public... They they only have a very vague idea of what's really going on, but also the journalists don't do... a great job of explaining the uncertainty that is inherent in all science and what scientists actually, uh, how sure of things they are. Like when you say the uncertainty in science, it's like scientists are all very curious. They're like, I'm just curious. I don't know what this might be. I'm going to try it. <laughs> I, that club looks interesting. <laughs> Wait, can, we, can you say though, we're talking about um, Felix Honecker, Honecker, whatever his name is. And, and and everything's everything's made up as a, a tool for Vonnegut to just fucking you know rant. It's like he's he's often talking about someone in my head. <laughs> this beer is from Fat Orange Cat, so double connection because cat is in the title oh. of this book. <laughs> and Fat Man was the bomb. It was the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> that's how they named it. Like that shit's da- that's what Oppenheimer's like. I am become death. That shit is the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, no one knows the second part of that quote. They always forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from Fat Orange Cat, which is in Connecticut, and it's an 8.75%. Isn't that the tax rate? Um, isn't that sales tax now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it double dry hopped with Enigma? Oh, oh, that's so good. I told my wife I wouldn't drink a lot of beer today, and it's 10 a.m. <laughs> Fuck you, marriage. This is good. It's going to happen. Okay, yep. I have another one. Even dumber connection. Can't wait. Uh, <laughs> so, it, what, Cat's Cradle, though, uh, the title, I, uh, at least in the beginning part, that's what Felix Honecker was... Honecker? Is that how you say it? It doesn't matter at all. No one cares. Sorry. That's uh, Felix... There's no shortened version of Felix, Dr. Felix. Dr. Felix the scientist, Cat. <laughs> <laughs> he was playing Cat's Cradle, like that string game, which I don't even know how that game works. Like, isn't it? Like, you just have to you just you like put string patterns. between your fingers. <laughs> yeah, you kind of like make patterns based on different loops, and not uh, most of them don't look like the thing that it is called. I mean, this is this was back when no one had yet invented ball in a cup. <laughs> so, they had invented stick in a hoop in the street, though. <laughs> stick in a hoop. That was that was also de bomb. Uh, I believe that's in Poor Richard's Almanac. <laughs> stick, stick in a hoop That shit is the bomb Paul Revere I do say uh, So he was playing Cat's Cradle The day 
you know, he's the father. At some point, Newt refers to him as the father of the atomic bomb. And the day they drop one and kill, you know, 130,000 people or whatever it was, he's playing a child string game. Like, you know, to Nate's point of him just being completely detached from the reality of his invention and the ramifications of it. And that's um, the laboratory where Honecker works is the scientists just do research. They don't have a goal. They don't have like a project they're working on. So it's like, go, go do science. And I think Vonnegut is like critical of that. Like, that's not smart. Don't just like go discover shit without knowing what it's going to do or like whatever. But we'll get back to that. So on the day of the bomb, Newt, so Newt, which is like several chapters in the book are just Newt writing a letter back to, writing a letter back to uh, uh, the author who's not named Jonah. Uh, and he says, yeah, John. on the day of the bomb, yeah, it's the day of the bomb. Might, I was a young child. He says, oh, look, cat's cradle. And he was like, this is the first time my father had ever tried to interact with me because he was just a weirdo who had no idea. Uh, what was going on? And he says, here, see, cat's cradle, cat's cradle. And he was like, oh, this man is just weird. Who's this weird man? And then he was like, no, go away, father. And his father was sad. And that's what happened the day the bomb dropped. Quit so being a pussy, son. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and then you find out about how Felix, after, so after he's the father of the bomb, he invented... Ice nine. Well, first, he, this the, the military. Vanilla ice is very unsuccessful. Follow up single. <laughs> uh, the military asked uh, Felix, the scientist, to solve mud. That was the problem. <laughs> I need to. We we need this to. Is like, still we, the early days of science. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> the well, problems were mud. So uh, into dirt. Yet. He asked. So they. So the military asks. You know, ask the scientists to solve their problems for them. You know, and he says, "We need you to solve mud fighting. It's it's awfully muddy a lot of the time. It's really it's really difficult." And so he does, but he creates this thing called Ice Nine, which will spoiler destroy the entire world <laughs> in order to solve mud. It is a form of water that crystallizes into ice at. Uh, that just it that just Any crystallizes into ice, and as a whenever it these, this ice chunk touches anything, it turns that into ice too, into ice as well. Not Any moisture, right? Any other? Yeah, ice everything two. just turns. Everything just turns. That's what they call an Eskimo <laughs> shit. <laughs> an igpo. <laughs> so ice nine. So. This is, it doesn't explain this in the book, but this is actually based on something kind of real. Because ice did you seven. know there, there are <laughs> multiple forms of ice? Now, Dry here, ice. Here on Earth, no, that's not actually, so that's not water ice. Ice baby? Ice, ice ba- yeah, ice baby. <laughs> when one's emotions, uh, a woman can be described as cold as ice. I believe that's also a type. <laughs> so... Here on Earth, we only really see one form of ice, but in either outer space or on other planets with, with incredibly high pressures, pressure and temperature, uh, water can solidify into ice into different crystal structures than the one that we get here on Earth. And so there are possibly at least 17 different types of 
ice that could exist out there, plus ones that don't even follow like a geometric crystalline structure and are just called amorphous ice. And water does actually need some like thing to get it started to turn from liquid into a solid. Like if you've ever seen videos of people doing up like super cooled water, like if you take purified water and put it in the freezer, it can, the temperature can be lower than 32 degrees Fahrenheit and it's still liquid. But then as soon as you like hit it on something, it'll turn, it'll all turn into ice like right away. Like, like within a couple of seconds. And this is kind of what Kurt Vonnegut was even talking about. He was talking about YouTube videos I've watched where <laughs> someone hits their water bottle on their porch. So prescient. Man's like, he's a genius. <laughs> anyway, so this thing, this creation of Ice Nine, which the military never got, military never gets its hands on in the book, but still destroys the whole world at the end. Well, that's, I think that's the, through his criticism of the military. Right? Like they don't even care. Bumbling. They're like, I don't want to walk in the mud. We don't really care about what happens beyond that, which is kind of what would happen in Vietnam with like Agent Orange. And only, <laughs> uh, well, only one year this published before that happened. So some some guy in the Pentagon read this book. Like, Can we do that for, for bushes? <laughs> I really hate leaves. Can you Make solve jungle? <laughs> Leave me alone, jungle. No? Okay. Yeah, that is kind of what happened. It was like the 1970s when sometimes your biggest problem was Bush. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, a big big chunk of like Uh, sort of like the first at least third of the book is just learning this stuff about the scientist and his kids and his son Newt, who is a midget and then married mm -hmm. the Ukrainian midget and then... For a weekend. For a week, yeah. Well, they had a short marriage. So then, uh, sort of the middle third of the book is the narrator, whatever his name is, getting to, John, uh, getting to the island. It's for those island vibes. And then learning about... Like- but why does he even go to this fucking island in the first place? Like, I mean, the whole time, he's, every the time oldest, some... the oldest, he's looking for, he's, he's found the daughter and the youngest son, but he hasn't found the oldest son. No one knows what happened to him, disappeared. And then he sees him in the newspaper, or someone did, sends it to him, that the oldest son is in the government of a small uh, Caribbean country. And he's like, I got to go there and see him. San Lorenzo. The fictional Caribbean island. And and all the while this is going on, as, as the, the narrator mentions, like, I would later learn when I became a devotee of Boko Onoism, or whatever it is, <laughs> that this is, and he's like, he's just introducing all these terms. This would be part of my caress. And these are part of my, he's a grand falloon. I'm those fucking gibberish. And, uh, Isn't that a Dutch thing? The, 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 I think they're in Belgium, the Walloons and the grand oh, falloons. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, the caress is the people that are, like, in your orbit of, like, influence and, like, you have interactions with. And then, but then there's, like, the false caress people. That people. Are people that are part of your, of your destiny. But then there are the people that you just think are part of your destiny that are not. And this is where Vonnegut goes. His, he's like, you know, some examples are the Communist Party and the National Association of Oddfellows and any nation, any time, any place or something like that. It's like... 
You think you have something in common with those people, but you don't. Ha. Okay. I get it. Um, People keep being excited to find out that, oh, you're also a Hoosier. And then, yeah. But mm. that, like, so is, like, really so meaningless. Even though the whole... It's not that they don't have anything in common. It's more like they're not, like, the caress people that you're, you're part of, they're all part of your, like, your grand narrative and your destiny. And there's people that you think, ah, oh, this person is definitely part of, like, this big thing that's going on, but they're not just because you have you know them or something or they you're related in some way, but they're just not part of the important stuff going on in your life. Well, yeah. So he meets all these other people and then, and they're just like ridiculous characters. Like the Uber capitalist guy who thinks everyone should be making bicycles or something. And then the, um, the Hoosier lady and then the, the former diplomat people who are in a, a dupe, a duplass. <laughs> and they are the only people in each other's carass. You know, like, okay. What does all this mean? doesn't matter because it gets him to the island. But he first sees a picture. One of them is, happens to be reading a like one of the only books on the history of San Lorenzo. And so he reads that. And somewhere along this lines, he also sees a picture of a really, really hot Caribbean girl. And he's like, I really want to love that. She's so hot. Uh, and that leads him to San Lorenzo. He meets all those people on the plane to San Lorenzo. Oh, that's right. That's right. And it turns out the people on the plane are... Newt and, and his sister and his sister. I forget her name, but she doesn't really matter very much. Angela, Angela sounds Angela. right. Yeah. yeah, the giant. Like, one one son she's is very a dwarf, tall, and she's over six feet tall and plays the clarinet. And that's like her character traits. Yes, she's goofy looking. <laughs> Poor kid. <laughs> yeah, then she like she's like showing pictures of her family and like well, it's like okay, what is this? she's the one that uh, after their mother died giving birth to Newt. She became the de facto mother of the family and dropped out of high school. And so she's kind of uh, messed up from that. So this is actually somewhat related to something in Kurt Vonnegut's life where uh, when Kurt Vonnegut himself was young, like six or seven or something like that, his mom died from an overdose of sleeping pills on Mother's Day. Mommy needed a nap. And then... (laughs) uh, And then so not only was he... Without you mean I bought this gift for nothing? (laughs) Not only was he this macaroni picture, she's not even going to see it. (laughs) Not only was he without a mom, but I think also his older sister probably kind of took over, you know, raising him and his brother. That that would be the way it would go. I mean, that's like the nineteen at the twenties, yeah, or something. So probably thirties, maybe. Well, he served in World War Two, so he had he had to be born at least the late twenties. I mean, we could all easily look this up, but we're just gonna not, and I don't care. <laughs> all right, I'm looking it up. He was born in 1922. Oh, what a disgusting mustache! <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. Babies so shouldn't have a mustache. So um, they get to the island. And then you find out a lot about the history of this island, and it's been like a shitty little rock that got traded around by different imperial powers, but none of them cared. <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, I like there's a passage. like, when it was first claimed by the Dutch in, you know, whatever year, and, you know, 26 years later, it was claimed by the French, and the Dutch didn't complain. And then it was claimed by the Spanish, and the French didn't complain. And on and on and on. It's just, nobody wants it, because it's like poorly, ar- you know, barely arable land, where everybody's just miserable. And this is where, and then you find it along the way here when Bocono or whatever, 
he um, f- has a crazy life's like thing where he's like a survivor of a warship that gets sunk or something and then ends up like a POW or he does a whole bunch of crazy things in a row happen and, and he's like there has to be a reason for this crazy shit and then he founds his religion which the whole point of the religion turns out to be to make people feel okay about the crazy shit that happens to them <laughs> make it feel like that's the point which is you know the kind of shit where people will throw their hands up and say oh the world lord works in mysterious ways and just like accepts it and this is part of the divine plan or whatever Kurt Vonnegut, who was an atheist, like, this is him, I mean, very much making fun of organized religion by creating an organized, by creating an an organized religion in its book as satire that has literally the phrase, nothing in this book is true as one of its, whatever you want to call it, precepts. Also in the, I think it was like the prologue or something, he wrote, anyone unable to understand how a useful religion can be founded on lies will not understand this book either. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I get what you mean. So that, that, that sentence, veiled. Uh, uh, nothing in this book is true. So just believe whatever lies make you happy is the next, is the next sentence. And that is the basis of the religion. And so, I mean, there's kind of also a lot of other things to it. All the shit about your destiny and shared destinies. And- yeah. Shared destiny and fate, but you can't possibly know what it is during your life. Like, you just can't know. Like, so random shit. It seems like random shit happens to you, but it was actually fate the whole time. And it's also about man's uh, desire to try and understand everything. And he's just kind of, like, making fun of that. Uh, you know, tiger, this is what, tiger, go to hunt, bird, got to got to hunt, bird, got to fly, man, <laughs> got to sit and wonder why, 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 tiger, got to sleep, bird, got to land, man, got to tell himself to understand. Also, a lot of the biblical, the book is written in Calypso songs. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's from the islands, I guess, and Harry Belafonte was very popular at this time. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna open this other beer because that way Nate has to say funny names. Um, oh yeah, you know he he's the guy's really obsessed with the uh, hot Caribbean girl. I forget her name, but she's a. I know she plays the uh, xylophones really well. <laughs> and yeah, uh, he'd probably want to take her out on a date, but this book's called Cat's Cradle, so he'd probably like to take her out on a cat date. Book <laughs> is <laughs> <laughs> this beer is called Cat Date. And it's a nine and a half percent alcohol double IP from Three Floyds, and it says a categorically big double IPA brewed to honor our little friends in their clandestine meetings. Okay. Mm, yeah, that is a strong beer. Oh my god. Yeah, good nice taste. morning beer. Is this right? I do have a cup of coffee right here too, <laughs> to even out my buzz. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So we should say that this beer and all of our beers. Brought to us over by our pals at Patreon with our newly newly recrafted tiers. You can support the podcast over at Patreon, where you get all sorts of stuff that I forget what the new ones are, but it's like so awesome. Because you get to vote and help pick a book every month, and they picked this one. Our theme was, do you have the Vonneguts? <laughs> and it was all Kurt Vonnegut books in this one. And uh, we shout out the fine patrons on these episodes. And this week, it's uh, this month, it's Nate's turn. Nate... Do you want to thank those awesome people? 
who could go to who have gone to patreon.com slash drunk guys book club to support the podcast yes i'd like to thank rebecca karen yana andy some new ones is in this there. a real name dr don Kedick? no no that's uh, not a real name Nate. took me a second not not a real name it's a good one (laughs) it's the Uh, doctor that threw you off (laughs) (laughs) it was (laughs) who let this donkey into into school Uh, uh, Remy, Aggie, Avery, Human Oyster, JC, Do Good Letters, Linda, Nathaniel, Thick Richard III, Frederick, Sean, Nora, Beatrice, Maurice, Nin, Courtney, William, Sophia, Derek, Carol, Joseph, Jeff, Yolanda, Jennifer. My favorite holiday is July 4th. When else can you meet wieners and traumatized dogs? <laughs> uh, and uh, I'd also like to thank... Wish me luck on Shark Tank as I pitch Nate's Crates, the only dog crate with a hole for easy access. Oh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Anita. Anita Tolick. Jimmy Sven Ridenhard. I'd like to thank Jimmy. Get your hand off my dick. No. <laughs> Cup the balls. Uh, I'd like to thank... <laughs> um, uh, what was I? Grace, Catherine Colton, Dickshit McNutt. <laughs> I'd like to thank bass so players clever. honestly suck. I mean, who even knows any famous bass players? Guitar players are the real musicians. True statement. Ooh, uh, no, we get no argument there. <laughs> Zaphod Beeblebrox, Joe, Crab, Daniel, Hayden, Emotional Support Burrito, and CL. Thanks, right, some of you. Some of you are the best. You know who you are. I really like was it Dick Shit McNutt? Was that one? <laughs> <laughs> Classy. There was something with, that was clearly a name that we did not say right. It was Jimmy Sven Riggleheart? What was that? <laughs> Jimmy's Sven Riddenhard? Jimmy's Sven Riddenhard, probably. Okay. Jimmy's Sven. Yeah. Okay. It's not my. It's not my month. <laughs> <laughs> have to just chafe until next month lucky me thanks patrons again if you want to support the podcast you can head over to patreon.com slash drunk guys book club or you could help us out by leaving a positive review or just telling someone to check it out go listen to this you see the cat see the cradle hear the podcast write the review yeah give the money (laughs) (laughs) so okay in uh, uh, okay so if we really even give a shit about the plot of the book, which well, we ice don't, nine but... matters. That's the next. That's like the rest of the book, really. So he gets there. He gets to the island, and they find out on the island that the sort of a leader of the island. He's dying, but yet the older so he's he's there because the older son named Frank, I think, was that it? Yeah, uh, is there, but he's gonna like. He really just doesn't understand anything that's going on. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But is also going to be the next president. And then they tell John, the narrator, oh, you should be the next president. And if you do, you get to marry my beautiful daughter, Mona, the one the one that he's been He's thirsty after. as fuck for. Yeah. She does sound hot. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> she had, quote, 
liar like hips. And they're like, oh, that's a that's a way to describe them. <laughs> 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 Who doesn't like that? I will I will strub you like a Greek god. <laughs> <laughs> Put the O in Orpheus. <laughs> well, he's gonna make Frank the president because Frank, as he says, has the science. Because it's like, what does that mean? You find out it's because Felix did make Ice Nine for real, and then it disappeared when he died. And he was also frozen. They found him frozen, didn't they? Or did they know that he died and they found the pan on the stove frozen? And they realized this must be the Ice Nine. And so the kids split it up amongst themselves. So each of them has a little bit of this Ice Nine shit. They all have a thermos with a little. Little shard of it. Yes. And then uh, the president guy is like, Felix, you've, uh, Frank, you've got science. You know science good, even though he doesn't know science at all. He just has this shit from his dad. But really, what, he really, what he's really saying is, you have basically the equivalent of nukes. So, you know, you're the boss now. We're going to become a real country because we can end the world if we wanted to. And Frank doesn't like that because he's inherently not very good at anything. This is what it took to be a real country in 1963. He just wanted to build his model trains. Is he the train guy? He was the train guy, right? I thought the dad was. He built, he built, no, he built a lot of models, but he was, he was also banging the shopkeeper's wife. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The kid did the tr- model trains, yeah. He didn't even yeah. be like, you'd make the best hills. You know? There's just so many <laughs> details. Like, Do these matter? No. But here they are. So the president, he's in the hospital, and he dies, but he dies by trying to eat Ice Nine. Or something like that, because they, when they find him, he's he, completely he's, he's frozen. Di- he dies in the basement of the presidential castle, which is on a, the side of a cliff. And then he kills himself by eating the Ice Nine, because he wants to go out in a glorious way. And they're like, oh, this body's all contaminated with Ice Nine. What the fuck are we supposed to do? It's like, oh, well, well, we'll get rid of it later. We just have to make sure it doesn't touch any water. It's like, that's good. We're on top of a cliff. So we'll be fine. <laughs> Let's put it inside of a plane for an aerial show. <laughs> And so the the next day, so basically John becomes the president the next day, which also happens to be the day of the like celebration of the 100 martyrs to democracy that they have on the island, which is which is when at the beginning of uh, World War Two, San Lorenzo decides to join the war on the side of the United States and 100 men volunteer and they got on a boat to go to to go fight in Europe, and then they're immediately torpedoed by a German U-boat, and they all die <laughs> within minutes of like leaving the harbor. But these are the hundred martyrs to democracy that they're so they have this celebration. But as part of the celebration, I don't remember why. Doesn't matter. The either there's an air show, the Ice sure. Nine, or the body of the president well, gets an, dumped in the there's, ocean. There's an air there's an there's air show for um, like where they the, the planes fly overhead and they shoot shitty fake. Uh, torpedoes, fake missiles at like fake targets out in the thing to be representative. But their planes are shit because they're a poor as shit country and they don't work. And one of the planes crashes into the castle and knocks out the wall and the supports right where the body of the president is. And then the body of the president slips out into the ocean. Into the ocean, which then immediately freezes all the oceans on earth it turns all of it into and really the whole everything in the whole world into ice nine 
now on San Lo- uh, the few people on San Lorenzo who under like the, the narrator and Mona, they get to the bomb shelter and then they hide in the bomb shelter. They're like, uh oh, we better hide, but that apparently like keeps them safe. But then after a couple of days, they like crawl out of the bomb shelter and they're like, wow, yep, everything's frozen. Wouldn't Fuck. like that fucking water vapor in the air have to like freeze too? You would think. I don't think logic is part of this <laughs> whole whole thing here. I don't know. That sounds like like a grand falloon. What's in that bullshit, Nate? It's like <laughs> it's like in it's like in the Batman Begins. Did you guys see Batman Begins? Is that the um, the, the one, one with, with the, the Razal Ghul? Scarecrow. Ra's al Ghul, yeah. When he like they're they're gonna dispense the fear gas by vaporizing all the water in the Gotham's water supply. And so they're driving a train with the water vaporizer and all the Pipes are bursting. Everyone should be exploding because we are mostly water. But it's just the water and the pipes <laughs> because it's plot. Uh, Christopher Nolan's weakness. <laughs> 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 All right, so fine. Then they come out and it is a uh, frozen world uh, because everybody on the island, everybody's, everybody has also killed themselves on the island, right? Like they've all... They were either frozen in the initial outbreak, or they just killed themselves after that. Well, you got like the Jonestown the kind of dead. thing. They all just decided to end it. Yeah. Because of uh, Boko Ono told them to do it? Didn't he say, like, you should go freeze yourselves, guys? And they're like, yeah. Well, we did skip over the fact that everyone on the island is secretly a Bokanist. Even though it's illegal. Even though it's punishable by, by, punishable by death. The hook. And even including the president. And their big uh, secret thing is touching each other's feet to each other's feet. The foot, the foot five. <laughs> the reason why it's illegal is because Boko, Boko Ono told them to do, told them, <laughs> See, hard I to need you. It is, yeah. I, I told you, uh, told, told the president, I need you to make the religion illegal. That's how we'll get everyone to believe in it. And Work so they for the do. Christians. <laughs> yeah, that is obviously what uh, Kurt Vonnegut is trying to say. It's hip. It's cool to be part of the illegal religion even though literally everyone on the island is one. And occasionally they'll kill someone just to keep up, keep up appearances. Well, they, yeah, they mentioned that the horrible punishment of the hook, where they like hang you on a big meat hook and just let you yeah. die there. A very crucifix-type thing. But they, everything is punishable by the hook, but they actually just never enforce it, which is convenient. And so uh, they finally, at the end of the book... They stumble a upon. Few people have lived. They 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 stumble upon Bokonin, and he's trying to write the final page. I like, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get the last line. I'm I gotta I gotta get the last line here before I die, and so he tries to write the last page. I think because they were on their way to the top of the mountain to plant a flag because symbolism, because uh, they're the only people left on as far as they know on Earth. And they come across him, and he's writing about, if I were a younger man, I would write a history of human stupidity, and I would time, climb to the top of Mount McCabe and lie down on my back with my history for a pillow, and I would take from the ground some of the blue-white poison that makes statues of men, and I would, make my, I would make a statue of myself lying on my back, grinning horribly and thumbing my nose at you-know-who. There you go. Basically, the, the final... Sentence the final line of the Bible of this religion is that fuck you, God, 
That's, <laughs> that's basically what he's saying. All right. Yeah, you know, anyone's going to really complain about that. That seems, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. completely that's without con- you know, issue. Yeah, right. His with a capital H ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that was that that was a thing. That was a book that happened to us. I get okay. So I've been trying to figure out why did people like this? I think cuz it's funny. Like um, I guess it's it's way. it's funny and very silly and it's like weird in a like maybe it just feels like the 60s because this is one of the things that made that this became popular in the 60s because of Vonnegut, but it just in sort of the weirdness of the post-war era when everyone is afraid of the bomb because they should be in the most <laughs> dangerous part of the Cold War where it seems like nothing matters because the world is probably just going to get blown up in World War Three anyway. And so this was just kind of a weird thing, which is like funny, but it's also making a much bigger philosophical point about the nature is, of science and the nature of religion. This is part of that postmodern shit that was going on where everyone decided that nothing mattered anymore, including plot. It's, it's just like, there's no, there's no point. So what's the point of, it's absurdism, you know, just like we could all die at any second. Fuck it. Who cares? Let's have a good, let's have a, let's have a laugh. And I think uh, I would add to add to that. I, I agree with all that. There's a smarmy, like... It is smarmy. Look how clever, look how smart I am. All satire is a little smarmy. Satire has to be smarmy, right? It has to be a little elitist, because you're looking down on something (laughs) when you satirize it. But there's, you know, here... Because he he goes through everything. And there's just, you know... There's so many different passages of just making fun of shit. Like, look at these dumb rubes from the Midwest who think everyone's a Hoosier and that means something. Look at these stupid patriotic people who think being just because you're in a country means anything at all. Look at these dumb scientists who think that they should just go discover things and not have to think about it. Aren't you smart like me? (laughs) I think about all those things and then write fucking 300 novels about them. So I think if you read that, you feel smarmy and, and, and like, like a nice warm feeling inside. Like, yeah, I get it. I'm on, I'm on the smart team. Not those rubes. <laughs> Did you like reading the book? That was, I guess, a good question. Like, smarter people will tell you all the themes and the meaning and shit, but did you like reading it? I mean, I think maybe if, it was, if I was in the right mood for something like this, then it would be fine. But I wasn't. <laughs> and so I found it just kind of confusing and weird, but also I have a tendency to find things that are just like, wait, what the fuck is this mean? I find that annoying to read and I tend to not enjoy it. So I kind of didn't enjoy it. It was only after I had mostly finished that I'm trying to figure out like, so what the fuck is this all about? That I was like, oh, okay, that's an interesting idea, I guess, a satire. But I was also, well, I thought, so a, a, a book that has some of the similar themes, but actually has a plot that you might be interested in, that because the, the plot that means something. It's actually Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood, which, which is definitely, which we've done, and is definitely about science. It is definitely about the dangers of science and how scientists 
just like they just invent shit and then it and they don't think about what it really means in sort of like a moral sense. Anyway, I I would say that was a better book about kind of the same thing. I I don't know if I'd say that. I mean, they're very different books. There's a lot of other shit in Oryx and Crake. A lot of weird shit. I mean, this is also a fucking weird as hell book, but I don't know if I don't I don't know if I'd, I'd say like you could swap one for the other because like this is also like very much a period, a product of its of its specific time. Yeah, the satirical part. Like you need to really you know think about the Cold War throughout this whole book. Like that's an essential part of it too. Is the when the characters are how they how they react or don't react or whatever to the idea of the world ending catastrophe being a second away at any moment was very different in nineteen sixty three than in like two thousand three or whenever it is that Orcs and Craig came out. Also she's Canadian, so what the fuck would she know about being in a real country? (laughs) (laughs) It's like back then it was we have stuff now that, you know, could end the world. But it's different. It's more long term than back then, where it's like literally any second they could decide to end the Earth. So that was probably pretty fucked up. But now we have you know climate change, and people are saying AI is going to ruin the you know just take over the Earth because Chat GPT can write a term paper, which is stupid. Writes but, a shitty term know. paper too, by the way. And nuclear oh, weapons absolutely. haven't gone away, but people yeah. don't think about it the same way. It doesn't feel like as immediate a problem, even though it really still is. It is really a huge, giant fucking problem. But You only need a few of them to do some damage, and there's still plenty of them out there. There's enough to destroy the Earth like thousands of times over. I think that was never actually true, and I know that well, most like- nuclear weapons have been... Uh, so, un- un- because of us, arms limitation treaties... A lot of nuclear weapons have been decommissioned since the uh, end of the Cold War, but the United States and Soviet Union still have thousands. So yeah, I mean, they still not, have not quite to a like lot. obliterate the planet just so that it doesn't exist, but it is, you only have to set off so many before you get a nuclear winter that will end food and just fuck up everything. We got way more than that. So yeah, I mean, I actually did. I kind of enjoyed it. I, I don't mind when things are don't make much sense and are goofy. I mean, once you the yeah, the metaphors are so they're so thinly veiled it might as well not even exist. Like you get what the well, you get what the book's about, and once you have that, you kind of like you see I see where he's doing with this, and like I understand that like the rest of the stuff. Maybe you know maybe there is a reason that the last kid is a dwarf, and maybe there's a reason for everything. <laughs> but I doubt it. I think he's just filling it with goofy shit. Not that being a dwarf is goofy, but you know, <laughs> but it's just like it was meant um, to be goofy. Goofy was rather tall, yeah. actually. Yeah, <laughs> but it's you know I I I did enjoy it. It's like it's a it's a not taking itself too seriously and also taking itself seriously with how you know smarmy it is. But I it wasn't it wasn't hard to read and it was not super long and it was kind of like you know it's just fun and like yeah I get it you know people are stupid religions are dumb and nukes are bad and we're just all gonna kill each other one day. For some bullshit. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, Kurt. The truth, Kurtz. <laughs> terrible. Um, I hope it says that on his tombstone. <laughs> everybody Kurtz sometimes. <laughs> that would be amazing if that... <laughs> <laughs> 
He would do some shit like that, I'm sure. Though I, I don't know, he he died after that song came out. He died in uh, 2007, I believe. And he definitely knew that song. Everybody curse. Well, that's a theme for book clubs. Everybody curse sometimes. That should have been our theme this month. Oh my god! Well, next time we do a Kurt Vonnegut poll, that will be the title. Everybody curse. Uh, so, is there a person who should read this book? As I feel like Kurt I mean, Vonnegut it's, has it's this a like classic. People talk about Kurt Vonnegut. He's so smart. He was so whatever. Like, and he has that famous um, graduation speech he gave, that commencement speech he gave at some point. I don't know if it was like the early two thousands or nineties or somewhere in there that people like to reproduce that. I, I, I I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the, the take that we'll get us in trouble. I don't think he's very good. <laughs> I don't think he's very good. I think Slaughterhouse Five is a really good book. I've read a bunch of other books of his now. They're like a lot of other '60s weird sci-fi books. I don't think he's that great because you read if you read others like find another random sci-fi book from 1963. They have weird, crazy ideas, and they're also trying to be thought-provoking and trying. But they're to not be trying critical. to be satire, which is what makes this a little bit different. It was trying to be satire while also being science fiction, but also the science fiction wasn't the important part. It was the satire part. That was more important. So even calling it science fiction will give you the wrong idea. Just think of it as satire. But I just find that I've read... I mean, that's true. They're not all satirical. Though they often do end up doing a little bit of that because science fiction in the 60s, like the Philip K. Dick type writers, wanted to be saying something. I mean, yeah. They're definitely... Science fiction is trying to make a point about something in society. So the fact sure. that they... That they were trying to, you know, make a statement, they end, uh, you know, it's, it's not hard to go from that goal to satire in some form. And science fiction tends to be, from that time, not super serious and heady. I've only read these, those, these two, and uh, Harrison Bergeron. I haven't read his other stuff. I read Player so I Piano, really... which is from the fifties. I've read, um, what's it called, the short story one, Welcome to the Monkey House. Which has some cool mm. stories and some like, what the fuck is this about stories? And something else in there, I think, too. Apparently, at some point in Kurt Vonnegut's career, he graded his own work. I've and read He actually that, yeah. gave a lot of it bad marks, but the two <laughs> two things that he said he did, he thought were actually really good work were Slaughterhouse Five and Cat's Cradle. He thought this was some of his best work. Yeah, I've read that a lot. Yeah, some things he's, he gave him like a letter grade. And he's like, this, I give it a D. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to get paid, son. Really shit this one out. <laughs> but that's like part of his his mythos, you know. Like, see how like funny and and uh, I, mean, I think you I know think whatever these days we could be like, oh, what a smarmy old dick. But that's because we're just jaded from everyone being smarmy dicks. Maybe I think he he probably was just like a funny weirdo. Yeah, but he was a fun was, dude to hang out with. Or maybe not, though. Yeah. He might have just been a fucking asshole who shit on everything you said. Well, that's what we do. That's not true. <laughs> we just shit on everything Nate says. <laughs> I bet Kurt Vonnegut would have really enjoyed Twitter because he could just make you oh, yeah. two-sentence, really clever, pithy He'd probably hate things. it now, though. He'd hate everyone else on Twitter, but yeah. he would <laughs> enjoy doing it. His he clever hot take on everything. He would have paid $8 for the check. I think, you know, he's he's one of those... It, we said it somewhere 
recently. It's really easy to criticize things and easy to just say, like, that's a shitty idea. Or that person's stupid. That's the ending of Ratatouille. <laughs> yeah, but, like, also, no one should have eaten that food. It was he made by hands. a rat. Did no, I, it was made by the rat controlling the man's hands. By pulling, tugging on his hair in the right way, which is just, yeah. a man was a, was a sub, sub, subhuman. But did you, <laughs> did I ever send you, like, the, the, like, the weird AI thing? It was, like, AI generate a chat of Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro talking about Ratatouille. Oh, yeah. That's really incredible, actually. Sadly. And Ben was like, wouldn't you want to have a little rat guy just making you do things? Would you want to be ratatouille And Ben was like, that's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous idea. The rat could not make you do that. But just saying, if, if it could. Like, no, wouldn't it be no, kind of cool? It's not, it's not real. <laughs> and then in the end, he's like, yes, I would like the rat to help me write a screenplay. <laughs> that's, all he ever wanted. that's all he ever wanted to do. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, then the, well, then, and the guy realized it's, it's... But it's easy to criticize things, but there's never... I don't know if Kurt Vonnegut offered any solutions. I think he thought there was no solution. And that's where it's just, all right, that's cool. Which is, you know... He just thought life is absurd, and what's the point of anything? And, you know, it's... So it's I better shit on everything people like first. <laughs> There's nothing that matters. It doesn't have any point. But if you like it, I'm going to make fun. Make sure you know I think it's shitty. It's a dig I attitude. Everything, everything is useless. Like and subscribe. Smash that like button. <laughs> <laughs> Remember to hit the bell so you can get the latest updates, uh, updates when I shit on <laughs> things you like. Follow me or don't because it doesn't matter. <laughs> the world is going to end any second. <laughs> Uh, it's a short read, at least. I'll give it that. And the chapters are seven sentences long. So it's one of those books yeah, that's it's, very it's easy like to plow through. Each each chapter is maybe two pages. It's kind of a strange layout. But then at the end of the book, like every other chapter ends with, see the cat, see the cradle. Like, okay. Does it? I only saw that in there like twice. I feel like it was a bunch of times. I don't remember exactly. I wasn't keeping track. But it's like, why does he keep saying this? Well, the point of the... Does he have I a word was, limit? Does he have to... I looked up like, why is it called that? It's like, the point of it is that... It's not, it doesn't look anything like that. It's stupid. It doesn't mean anything. It's like, oh, okay, I guess I should have guessed that. <laughs> That's in character. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's on, it's on brand. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but he, it had to mean, I mean, I think it's good. Like, no, not that it doesn't mean anything. It's just that the fact that it doesn't look like that and it's called that is what, uh, some shit, I forget what it was. It was... Uh, people who wrote these things can word it better than I can, but it was basically just like um, the fact that it's called that and doesn't look like that is a is absurd. Is absurd, like everything else. Uh, all right, that sounds like our boy, Curdy B, Curdy V. Yeah, that's his rap name. All right, tell yeah. us what you thought. <laughs> Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail dot com. Follow us on Twitter, drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at Drunk Guys Book Club. And if you want to support the podcast, again, you can head over to patreon.com slash Drunk Guys Book Club. Uh, you can also help us out by leaving a review or by telling someone to listen to the podcast. And if you listen this far into the episode, email me and I will send you a dollar because no one does. <laughs> probably. I'll probably send it to you. Your uh, results you may vary. Also <laughs> join us on Goodreads. Sorry to be Kurt. <laughs> and check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.